live. Welcome, friends. I am PC with DPZ, and this is uh, a special episode of The Collector's Journey. And with me, I have John, the basketball card guy. I've got Dustin, sports card dad. And I have Adam Gray from PWCC. And today, we're going to be talking about something. We're going to be discussing a list. No sports fan could ever do without more lists more top fives top tens it's it's our it's how we it's it's everything to us it's i don't know how we could ever you know get through a day without calculating some sort of a list of who's the best who's the greatest and in the cardboard hobby in sports cards top five top ten lists they're everything they do everything for us they help dictate sometimes they help you know, folks discern what to invest in. If you're investing in cards, we call them store value. But I've got th uh, three very wonderful minds here. And I was saying earlier before we launched record here, three of the nicest guys in the hobby, in my opinion. You will not find three people that are more eager to help, assist. I mean, Jeremy Lee's been great. Too. i got to throw him a bone, too. He's so helpful on the hockey front. Um, there's a lot of great, awesome people in this hobby, but these are three of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, they'll be happy to help you in any any question. And if, like, a, a silly guy like me who's fairly new to jumping back into this hobby can pose a question, um, they're, they've always been very helpful. So thank you guys for taking the time to join the, the, this episode. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, okay, so here's the, the list. This is what we're going to do. Today we're going to discuss the top five most collectible athletes in, in the perspective sports. John is going to talk through basketball. Dustin's going to speak to football. And Adam is going to speak to basketball as well. So John and Adam are going to have – that's going to be some fun because I think there's going to be some healthy debate between the two of them since they're both – and if we all know, and if you haven't already checked it out – the top one, iconic 100 cards Adam put together for PWCC. Go check it out. It's awesome. It, we're really borrowing from a lot of the hard work that he put into that. So I think this is going to be interesting in how this, this works. But if you haven't already checked that out, please go visit. Go check it out. Um, it's it's a, a tremendous uh, program, and, and it's awesome content. And it really did bring up a lot of interesting conversations. So we're going to sort and, of unpack. And his own Real 27 guy countdown before that, too. Let's also acknowledge that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Adam, the king of the countdown. Adam's the king of the countdown. So much, obviously, move on. <laughs> we had to have Adam. Okay, so myself, I'm going to cover overall top five most collectible athletes. And then what we're going to do is we're going to add a little more sauce to this whole mix. We're also going to talk about the top five most iconic cards in each one of these segments. Basketball, football. I'm going to speak to baseball. Not going to speak to hockey because I think we'd need someone like Jeremy to be on this on this call to, to speak to the hockey crowd. But I will try to overall five of the most, in my opinion, overall across all sports, the five most iconic cards. So without further ado, I am going to launch. First, we're going to start with Dustin. Dustin, you're going to lead us off and you're going to speak to us about your top five uh, most notable and collectible athletes in football and then your top five most iconic football cards. And as okay. you get through it, we can all kind of chime in there and have give our feedback on what we think yeah. um, and banter back and forth. So go ahead, Dustin. You got the floor. Well, DBC tricked me. I thought we were. I was coming on to talk Stranger Things cards, and then I get on, and all of a sudden we're we're doing football, which is fine. Um, I'm I'm certainly not a football card expert, but I just got lucky and got invited. So here I am. Um, so yeah, I'll start with most collectible. Kind of tricky in football because it's dominated by quarterbacks, but. Number one, I have to go with Tom Brady, even though I think it's kind of a love-hate um, in the same way that, you know, I think in basketball you have kind of these same – I mean, Kobe was one of those guys where 
it's, you know, he was hated during his playing days and now he's loved and, and all that. But Tom Brady is kind of that undisputed football goat. And I, that's unique in basketball. You can argue different things and other sports. You can argue different players, but Otto Graham also has seven titles uh, with, with Tom Brady, but you know, everyone kind of uh, forgets about Otto Graham in that mix. So I got to go Tom Brady one kind of the obvious. And I think uh, to be honest, I think he really drives the football card market for the most part, even though he is a modern player, rookie in 2000. I mean, he is really kind of the driver for all of it. Um, number two, I put Barry Sanders. And part of the reason why is because, you know, just like Ken Griffey Jr. has heavy collectors in, on the baseball side, to me, Barry Sanders is like the Ken Griffey Jr. of football, you know, where he's got a, a lot of really cool 90s cards. He was kind of like he was everything um, kind of the same time that Griffey was, was always an amazing player, not necessarily on great teams always. And so I put Barry Sanders there because even today there's tons of, of Barry Sanders collectors. And I, I'm a I'm a huge Barry Sanders fan myself. But on the football side, I just see a lot of action for Barry Sanders. Number three. Um, and again, not in any particular order. Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is kind of he's separating from the rest of the crowd. He's the one of the, he's he's the new QB that's got a ring already. He's got an MVP. And now he's playing on playing on like a broken leg with like bionic body out there going to the Super Bowl. So you know, I had to put him in there, obviously. Peyton Manning I uh, have on this list because he's also kind of ascended as that number two behind Tom Brady. Tom Brady has always been the guy. Peyton Manning probably would have been that guy if, if Tom Brady wasn't around. And so I've got Tom Bra or, uh, Peyton Manning there. He has a lot of hardcore collectors as well. And then five, I kind of lamed out here and I just picked basically the rest of the field. So Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and young quarterbacks. Because I feel like that really dominates the rest of the football market for the most part. I mean, I could choose, you know, like a Walter Payton or a Jerry Rice. But to be honest, I mean, outside of those iconic rookie cards for those players, I just don't know. And granted, I don't know the whole hobby, but I don't see a lot of people in social media that are diehard Walter Payton card collectors or Jerry Rice cards. It's usually their diehard Chicago Bears fans. And then they have Walter Payton stuff. So I, so for number five, I just picked basically all the up and coming QBs as most collectible as of right now in 2023. Okay. All right. Do you, yeah. Do you want me to stop there before the, yeah, let's, the let's, let's stop there and let's talk yes. about that list a little bit. So I, yes. and John, John has something to say. I can tell let's, <laughs> so that fifth spot, let's uh, pivot a bit. Okay. So who out of these young quarterbacks, let's talk, you know, not named Trey Lance or Brock Purdy or anybody who's just, recently you know the last two or three months who out of all those quarterbacks do you think will have will be that person on that list that will end up being the most collectible i think it's burrow and then you have you know you, but it's based on what he's done the last two years also you know and also when you see him he's he just feels like that guy his attitude i saw him on an interview with joe montana the other day where he was with colin cowherd and joe montana and I felt like he was ready to fight Joe Montana. Like he did not have the respect, you know, like you would think that, I don't know. He's just got that like Mike Tyson attitude thing where it's like, I'm the man. So I don't know. I, I, I'm going Joe Burrow out of all the, the rest of the guys, but what, what do you all think? Anybody have any, any comments on that list? I guess it's I would just add. Oh, sorry. I, I will comment on something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Adam. We're having a little bit of a delay. Sorry about that. I, I would say that Dustin's point about what have you done for me lately is 
it's pretty interesting when you have somebody who's as young as Burrow is and has as much team success. It's not surefire. We see guys that have like a lot of success in a few years and then they don't end up doing anything down the road. But to me, it's kind of hard to go away from that in favor of somebody else who's young, who hasn't done as much that he'd probably get my vote as well. I thought one of your, so, cause I don't know that much about football, but I thought one of your earlier comments about Barry Sanders is really interesting because it, it led over into not just iconic players, but iconic cards and how iconic cards can create iconic players in the collecting zone. Interesting. And the fact that Sanders was a player in the nineties, when these big inserts that so many folks our age now are looking to collect are going out for, mm-hmm. um, that can really guide a lot of popularity, you know, among them. I, Ken Griffey Jr. is one of those ones in baseball that a lot of people are gravitating towards because if they got the insert in basketball, if it was the credentials or it was the, you know, medal or it was whatever it was, if they could get it in baseball as well with a player that they remembered, now they're starting to collect that too. So um, I think it's interesting because it's it started to touch on a point that I was going to make anyway later <laughs> that that yeah. would really some of the technology and some of the desire for the insert sets draws some of that popularity and iconic nature of some of the players as well. So it like drives the it, it, yeah the card almost has more to do with the the collectability of a, an athlete sometimes. I mean Ken Griffey Jr. is just I mean I, I feel like. You know, I'm not going to give my list away too soon, but he is, he seems to be that guy. And I got into all the inserts myself because I wanted to snag them before they became basketball prices on inserts and got ridiculous. Um, so I've got a lot of those cool Griffies, but you know, there, there's some, you just get the rubies. You can't touch that without spending more money than you should spend. Um, yeah. We can talk about Dustin's, you know, conversation. You know, I've watched some of your, your shows about, you know, being man- managing your money and you're being fiscally responsible out. And we talked about it too being smart about, you know, how we, how you buy in, in cars. And sometimes it gets kind of carried away with you look at some of these prices, these great cards and will they ever come back down? Are they going to stay where they're at? I, have a, I just don't think they're going to come down. I think some certain cars are just going to stay where they're at because the demand's going to be there for them. So, okay. Well, Dustin, why don't you, uh, why don't you give us your top five most iconic football cards? Yeah. And I'm going to throw honorable mentions on the back of it uh, just so that people don't think I'm a complete idiot. (laughs) All right. So we're going to go and not in any particular order, the 33 Gaudi sports Kings, Jim Thorpe, Jim Thorpe's kind of that legendary Babe Ruth football figure. So that's, if you're going deep vintage pre-war, you know, that's kind of, that's really kind of the card Um, 35 national Bronco Nagurski rookie card. Actually what's funny about that card is, I remember that card in Beckett magazines in the eighties, like when Beckett came out with, with Beckett football. And I remember just going all the way back on the price guide and like, what, the, like there was actually cards. I'm like eight years old. So I'm like, there's cards from 1950. And, and, and I remember this one in particular, they, they kind of had on a, a, like the one card from like the thirties. And I was just like, wow, what the heck is that? Um, so that card has been part of football card lore for a long time. So I had to put it on the list. The Tom Brady card I put on this list is kind of tricky. It's kind of, to me, it kind of, it's kind of um, similar to LeBron James. So I just put like 2000 playoff contenders, championship ticket, Brady, rookie auto, because it is a very high end card. It's probably iconic, most important. And it's the one that's most visible, you know, that the hobby like knows about that's the big money card. But I think you could also just, you know, the Bowman Chrome and a PSA 10, you know, in the same fashion as like the Topps Chrome PSA 10 for LeBron. That's more attainable or more maybe it's iconic in, in, this, in the sense that it's attainable. 
I'm not really sure, but I picked that one. I picked the 58 tops Jim Brown rookie card because that, again, that's kind of, yeah. he, he's in the, you know, best, not, not even just running back, but best all time player ever a discussion. So I put that in and then I kind of threw a curveball here. I put 86 tops Jerry Rice rookie card because to me, that card was important kind of during junk wax era time. You know, if you're looking at the last big card boom, 89 to 94, that Jerry Rice rookie, yeah, you, maybe Montana's 81 tops as well. But that was a, a set that had just come out, kind of like 86 Fleer basketball. It was in that same, obviously, same year. So, you know, that was a big card, you know, back then. And it, and it kind of has, you know, just the design of that set and everything else. I really like that one. For our honorable mentions, I put 81 Tops Montana, uh, the Walter Payton rookie card, and then uh, 65 Tops Joe Namath, and 57 Tops Bart Starr rookie cards. So there's kind of my, that's my uh, caveat to my top five. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, Adam's grabbing, he's grabbing his book. He's, where, where do I have these guys? Uh, very interesting. Talk to me. I remember a while back, you had a one of your shows. And you see, I'm well versed. I've watched you guys um, enjoy your, your, your content. So, Talk to me about um, the 89 score football set. Why, what's, uh, what, why is that so appealing? Why is that a set that still, that still sticks out today as being collectible, desirable? Cause it was red hot really during again, kind of that when, when cards were really heating up, when the hobby was really heating up and you could get like 89 pro set football, you could get it all day at the gas station at the grocery store, but 89 score was more hobby only. So it was a little bit like it was a top tier, I would say for football, right as football cards were starting to really gain more momentum on the mainstream. And then you had really hall of fame rookie class, like 86 flare basketball, 89 score football was that it's Barry Sanders. It's Troy Aikman. It's Michael Irvin. It's Thurman Thomas. It's Derek Thomas. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he probably would have been if if uh, he would have been able to finish out his career. So you just had kind of, you know, everything kind of hitting. Bo Jackson was also coming up. He was he was a rookie of the year prior, but he's got cool cards in that set. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of a boom, I think, for, you know, I know what you guys talk about on the basketball side. Draft classes drive a lot of uh, drive cards in a, in a sense. And, and it was like the perfect storm of, you know, sports card hobbies, red hot. And then we've got this amazing football uh class and then even you know then emmett smith comes and you've got other players that are coming it's just a few really good draft classes that drove it and 89 score you know they've got kind of those portrait rookie cards too everyone kind of talks about oh they're all they're wearing their helmets you can't see their face you know those 89 score portraits you know are are popular what's the supplemental version of that i know bo jackson has a supplemental card well, tell me the story behind supplemental how does that how does that work with the regular set yeah, my parents actually. So on Christmas of, I don't know if it was 89 or 90, I had a box of 89 score, what I thought was a, a factory complete set of the regular 89 score set. Yeah. And I literally about had a heart attack at nine years old. And I, and then I rushed under there and it's a purple box and I saw it's supplemental. So I got like the, <laughs> I got the supplemental set, which is awesome. I mean, it's yeah. a cool set, but it didn't have the Barry Sanders rookie in it, but it's got, you know, it's got the Bo Jackson bat card and it's got mm -hmm. Sterling Sharps rookie in it. You mm -hmm. know, it's a very cool set. Um, I don't know the history as far as did they already have that in the works or did they add that on because 89 score was so popular that they were yeah. trying to print something else to add on to it. Or maybe they missed like Sterling Sharps rookies and the, or whatever, you know, they're trying to add it in. I'm not exactly sure the history of how it came about, but mm -hmm. I did own one. I did. Yeah. Own that sounds kind of cool. Sounds great. <laughs> um, any, any thoughts, any questions about that, Adam, John? 
I was gonna say today it would be a supplemental set would be just a money grab. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, isn't yeah. it? Let's put out another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go for it, well, Adam. I really like Dustin's list. Um, I like his list of his five players and his five um, cards. On the five on the five players, when you were listing number five at first, I was thinking uh, a little bit about what you'd said about Barry Sanders, as John mentioned, same, same sort of thing. And I wondered if you'd go with Jerry Rice. So I like how you sort of weaved in the Jerry Rice card into the top five, which I think, by the way, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. I think that's, I think that's a, a card that represents that era, that mid-80s era so well. And so I, I just really like your list. I think they're really good. Why do you think that is? Is that because 81 tops just felt like too distant in the, in the past? Or there wasn't that fever for collecting in 81 when Montana's card came out? It very well might be. Um, I just remember if I'm thinking back to, I mean, I was in card shops in 88. So yeah, 80, there wasn't a lot now, granted, you know, the, the other problem with this kind of conversation too, is we're, we're living in the internet age where you can go online in five things in five seconds. And as an eight year, my eight year old brain didn't realize that, you know, there's card shops all over the country and there's cards everywhere. So I didn't see a lot of 81 tops in my particular card shop in Panama city, Florida, in 1988. But, you know, in the town across from me, maybe that's all they had. You know, I mean, like, who knows? You know, so, yeah. but yeah, I think just that that was just my perspective was just that I did see Jerry Rice cards. And when I did see a Montana, it was awesome to see it. You just didn't see him very, near as often as you did on some of those kind of later sets. So does Iconic, and maybe any of you guys can chime in on this. When we talk about Iconic, what's your definition of Iconic? I know Adam's going to have it. Is it availability? Is it? Um, liquidity of the of the actual card or is it the scarcity and rarity which one do you think it would be because that it begs the question when you say i didn't see very many of the 81 tops but boy i saw so many of the 86 tops it's like the, the 89 upper deck ken griffey jr i mean there were tons of them out there but it's still iconic but it's like mass produced to the hilt like does it I mean which one drives the recognized other? is like the definition of iconic right like like the textbook definition it it's the most recognized. Um, so I don't think it matters if it's whether it's super rare and you, you can never find one yourself, but you know of it because you keep hearing about it and it shows up at the super high end auctions all the time. And it's the card that everybody wants. I think that's still iconic. Um, but just as equally a rookie card that's only $20 raw that they printed a bajillion of, but that's the rookie card of that player that everybody loves that's iconic too, you know, cause it's well-recognized. So that, that the recognition is the factor that, that I think about most in terms of icons. I, I totally concur with that. I think that's spot on. Um, one of the things that was interesting that, that I sort of noticed as we went through and we did the iconic 100 exercise was Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth has some of the most valuable cards ever. And people don't know what they look like or what their name is right off the top of their head. And at the same time, that doesn't mean that they're most iconic. It just means that they're the most valuable. And so, you know, but on the other side of things, you've got Honus Wagner. When I say Honus Wagner, I know we all think of the same car first. I know we do, but that's not the most, you know, it's not the one that's sold the most often. So, so how do you measure whether, what some, whether something is iconic or not? It's like really a it's like a measure of all of these different things at once that John just sort of sort of put in a bow, which is like, is it recognizable? And I think it has to do with 
what it sells for, how often it sells, how people think about it, how people you know want it in their collection. It's really hard to define, um, but but we all know, and I, I think this really ties in super well with what Dustin just talked about. Like the Montana, for whatever reason, as Dustin was growing up, didn't like didn't enter his mind and his you know his his, his imagination as much as the Jerry Rice did. But if you talk to somebody who's maybe five years older or two years older, even they might totally disagree. And so it has to do a little bit with where we grew up and, and what we knew too. And yeah, I'll throw on one. Oh yeah. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. I was actually going to push back to something that you had said earlier, Dustin, when you were mentioning Beckett magazine back in the day, because we all picked that up when we were younger, you know, and that magazine was the reason was the, creation of some iconic cards in my mind i remember seeing the rave review jordan at a z force on the back of like three issues in a row mm -hmm. and that's like the only card i wanted to get out of basketball in the late 90s because i kept seeing this beautiful image of it in an ad that you know that fleer paid for you know like that's but it was fun. like you know, you think of it now, like if you go out and you get excited about buying anything else, whether it be clothing, a watch, something else, like you're seeing it in a magazine or you're seeing it advertised somewhere and you get excited and it becomes iconic because you start to recognize it with a celebrity who has it or whatever it might be. That back in the day, that came from Beckett, like both in, in some editorial writing and in a lot of cases, just through advertising that was done there that we saw. Today, we don't have as much of that. You know, it's more the social media push of let's see what, you know, when when someone posts a news story about a card selling for so much, that leads to some iconic stuff. You know, um, when Adam makes a list, obviously that helps, too. It's like you start to see all these yeah. cards that people are talking about um, or when someone just posts, you know, something miraculous that they got out of a break uh, and are excited about that. They've located something that becomes iconic in a way as well. So it's interesting to see that over time, like where we get that influence from has totally changed. Yeah. To speak to that quickly. Uh, Garbage Pail Kids cards are a perfect example of this, where uh, they were red hot from like 85 to the end of 86, like 18 months. And I just missed it. Like I probably would have been all into Garbage Pail Kids, but I was just uh, too young, just, you know, two years too young, but there's people that, that, that's their nostalgia thing. That's the thing that they remember. They might not collect any sports cards, but they know Garbage Pail Kids cards. So Anyway, just to kind of talk to, you know, kind of piggyback up what you were saying. Interesting. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Good stuff. So, Dustin, you've given us uh, top five iconic cards, top five most you know, iconic and most collectible football players. So now we've got some uh, of that to chew on. Um, next, I'm going to move up to John. John, a basketball card guy, is going to now give us his very controversial top five most collectible athletes in basketball. And he'll follow that up with the top, top five most iconic basketball cards. And knowing John, he'll probably add a lot of flavor to this delivery and give us a lot of really cool nuggets of truth that we can hang on to for quite some time now. But so John, why don't, I'm going to give you the floor. And as just like before with Dustin, we can interject in there, unpack some comments if we need to, but I'm going to let you go ahead and, and fire away on your top five most iconic athletes in basketball you can go i love that it's already controversial before i even gave them <laughs> i just because i just i just know it man i'm, I'm building it. drama because we're all such nice guys it's, we have to actually create it somehow right we gotta build it in i'm gonna go i'm gonna go from one to five because i think it gets more interesting as we get out from the obvious you know so 
Yeah. Uh, number one for me is Michael Jordan. Um, obviously, for obvious reasons, I think most people would put Jordan at the top of their list. We don't have to spend a long time talking about it. Um, but most players would put him at the top of their list, too, uh, as reasons that they joined the NBA um, or people that they looked up to or wanted to play with or, you know, just were inspired by. Uh, number two, I would put LeBron James. Uh, I mean, I think statistically, uh, years in the game, about to break more records. I mean, it just there's so many reasons there um, that I think he makes sense at a number two. Again, player side, not card side um, to start. Number three, Kobe Bryant. Um, there we go. We're getting Kobe in early. Number three. It's like not even Thank you. Top five. He's top three now in this list. There you go, Gage. Um, number three, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of, again, iconic, well-recognized, right? Well-established. Yeah. If we think about those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah. it's, you know, if you talk to most folks, they know who Kobe Bryant is. You know, like if you talk to folks about the sport, you ask them about name three players in basketball, you're probably going to get Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant in my opinion. Um, and that's kind of how I formed this list was around that notion. Number four is where it starts to get interesting because this is where I think it totally starts to go down a, a path where you could argue any number of things. My number four is Shaquille O'Neal. What? No, I'm yep. no, no, See? Controversial already, you know. I, I was going to throw it out no matter what you said. <laughs> number four, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and more, believe it or not, more because of off the court than on the court. Um, even though he has plenty of, you know, accomplishments on the court, um, it's to me, he remains someone that is super relevant mm -hmm. in society. He is part, you know, partners in a number of businesses. He's in every other television ad that you see, and he's in the highest rated, you know, uh, uh, show about basketball, you know, on TNT. Um, he's been doing that for years and has become kind of a comedic fun uh, personality that even if you didn't watch him as a basketball player, you watch kids today, they go towards him just because he's an interesting dude, you know, and the stuff yeah. that he's saying on that show is great. Um, he also, I mean, he helped me sell my house. Uh, I, I, I say that in jest, but I had the size 22 shoe behind me back here. He has such a ginormous shoe and anyone that meets him in person just says what a you know crazy personality is and just a big personality. Um, but that shoe was literally sitting in my house uh, at, when, when I was going to sell it. We had real estate folks coming through. More people, because I had cameras in my card room as people were coming through, more people commented on that shoe and knew immediately that it was Shaq's shoe. There was nothing that said Shaquille O'Neal on it. Right. Wow. It's just a Reebok pump from the 90s that's gigantic and is signed by him. But even his signature is hard to read, you know? The fact that everybody, virtually everybody recognized who that was just tells me he's an iconic player. He's a name that still remains relevant that I think for years to come, I think he's going to remain relevant. He's just in so many different things. Um, my number five goes back to, you know, kind of iconic players for playing purposes solely uh, in that zone and remaining relevant afterwards as well. I would say Bill Russell would be my number five. Uh, most championships ever, obviously. Um, you know, we, we always think about the dream team, but he won a gold in the Olympics back in the fifties. Um, you know, he had just so many accomplishments in basketball. He went on to be a coach. Uh, I had the honor of being at his enshrinement dinner for his coaching career uh, a couple of years ago before he passed. And the feeling in that room and just the respect for him, uh, was incredible. 
Um, and so um, obviously Wilt Chamberlain, there's lots of other players from the past that I could name. There's plenty of other players from, you know, modern day as well, like Luca and all these folks that people are excited about right now. But I think in terms of lasting names, those would be my top five. Um, and, and let me, let me jump in here. So John, do you, these top five at basketball players. So you kind of like listed off your top five. These are the top five basketball players in your opinion of all time. Just to be not, that, not in basketball necessarily, not like they're the, I'd put them on a team and it would beat everybody else. But in terms of, since we were talking about iconic players, in terms of people that folks that knew something about basketball would recognize, those would okay. be the five. Yeah. John, do you well, think that I just have a, this could probably turn it into a two hour conversation so we don't have to go <laughs> too, too far down the, sure. as you were talking about Shaq. When, yeah. when you think about like dominant big men, it's like Kareem, especially for the Lakers, Kareem and Shaq. Of course, Shaq was also with the Magic and very dominant other teams. But do you think that Shaq, just because of the way he played so violently and just the way that, that's the only way I can really describe it. I mean, nobody I, I, has there been a player as physically dominant as Shaq ever Broke as many backboards during. The- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there wasn't really any sort of stopping him other than maybe get him to the free throw line, you know, I mean, but. You know, whereas Kareem was just maybe as dominant, but it was more of a more of a crisp sky finesse, finesse. Yeah, yeah. It was whereas Shaq just bulldozed you over and dunked over you, and it was like you know. And I wonder, you know, recency bias because obviously, like I didn't watch Kareem play; I saw Shaq play. Yeah, and then versus also just the style of play where you're like, man, that that dude. I don't know if I was putting them if I was ranking in terms of players like like how they played in the NBA. I don't know that I would put Shaq ahead of Kareem um, in terms of how they played, but in terms of being an iconic player, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Shaq is certainly more iconic. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, and that, and that's why he's there. And, and that was an early on thing. He, that's something that he and LeBron have in common. You know, I think back to the days when Shaquille O'Neal, 92, 93, when he was first coming out, he was a rookie that everybody was excited about. Same thing a decade later with LeBron. We knew this guy was going to be a big deal, you know, yeah. and it kind of reminds me of Zion Williamson, you know, another another decade to all two decades later. Um, that notion, it, it felt like that again. It, it reminded me very much of the Shaquille O'Neal stuff. Um, but Shaq performed really well, you know, over those years and on the teams that he was on. And like I said, and now in retirement from basketball, he didn't stop. He's doing so much stuff in the public eye that he continues to be relevant. And I think that's one thing that just really helps him. And it comes over into cards as well. Um, but like, that's something that really helps him. I think be a copy. Yeah. I think that's uh, your list is, is more based on recognizable, you know, the brand, um, how lasting will that brand be for that person, the player, their cultural relevance, all of that. Um, the top five that I think, a lot of folks have been talking about recently is more based on just basketball on the court. Who's the best player, Stats, which can yeah. go and could goes in circles and circles. And everybody has a different opinion on that. And I think they're all respectable opinions. I don't think we've talked about some people having him. Kobe was the big topic. Obviously I don't, I don't get my feelings hurt about that at all. I think it's just, hey, it's everybody's opinion and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the, the um, keyword iconic, which is why I love this discussion makes it a little bit different because mm-hmm. If we're just talking about player performance and who's the best player and I'll go, you can go into a lot of directions and then your ranking stats, well, is scoring more important than blocking and blah, blah, blah. You know, like you start going down that and you start to have to rank importance of all these different things. With this, it's purely like if you talk to people on the street, 
if you talk to people that that follow the sport, who are they going to recognize? Who you know yeah. who's that most well known? So that, that's really what I focus. On. The the vintage guys don't have the benefit of you know, it's like you've got the high grade vintage. They don't have enough cards, you know, so as much as you appreciate, you know, those guys, it's like Oscar Robinson doesn't have a, any refractors or any gold prisms or, or maybe he does, right. but they're not playing day. You know, it's like, it's 2018 Oscar Robertson gold prism or whatever they come out yeah. with, you know, and, and that stinks. Cause that if you're talking about collectability, you know, you're just limited. And that's one of the reasons I actually picked Russell because I think part of the reason that he is iconic today other than his record and other than the fact that he has more championships than anyone is the fact that they made a lot of cards of him in recent years that included memorabilia mm -hmm. and autographs. It's something you didn't get from Wilt, you know, very few Wilt Chamberlain autographs out there, very few, you know, memorabilia. Um, so I think that's something that's kept him more in the, more in the top of mind. Um, and that's why I put him higher on that particular list. And that kind of goes back and forth, Adam, just nodding away. <laughs> Sorry, we're all dominating here, Adam. We go back and forth on scarcity versus availability. You talk about Wilt doesn't have as many, but does that make it more valuable? Does that make it more of a chase to try to have something from Wilt versus you can just get more Brill Russell because he signed more, he lived longer, right? If it's more of a chase for sure, uh, absolutely. But I don't know that it makes it more iconic because if you don't, if you never see it, you don't know it exists. It was what we were talking about earlier about the Babe Ruth cards. It's the same thing. Like if you don't know they exist, then how iconic are they? They're not that iconic. Interestingly, you know, interestingly, the the most recognizable Wilt autograph, though, would definitely be more recognizable than the most recognizable Russell because he has so few of them that the card itself takes on sort of this feeling of like, I want that card. Whereas if I say to you, you know, if I say to if I say to you, what, what's the Wilt autograph you want, as John points out, there's only a few of them. And so we know what they are. But if I say what Russell autograph do you want, we may very well each have very different answers to that question. That true. Basic that almost answers the question. I mean, if you have multiple options, then, you know, everybody's going to have a different opinion. It's going to give someone a choice of what they'd like, but more or if a refractor is a sticker or whatever, but Wilt is, you know, there's only so many of them. Very interesting stuff. So John, what would you say? And, and that's exactly what we're talking about here is the most iconic, right? And most cardboard relevant, most, you know, I, I'm borrowing that phrase from Cage. He likes to say that. Um, what is your top five most iconic basketball cards? And you can go from one to five as well, if you'd like to. Sure. Sure. Um, so I would, I would say number one is the, Fleer Jordan rookie. I mean, there's um, that's the one that when I was a kid, I really wanted, and that I talk to kids today whenever you 85 star, the Jordan star, play. the star, rookie. the 86, no, 86, 87 Fleer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. The, uh, yeah, we could talk about those two cards all day long, but <laughs> yeah, but I think there's no doubt that the Fleer is more iconic. It's more recognizable. Again, it's like it's, it's the, the card yeah. that when you get introduced to basketball and you're, you're told about a, a grail card, that's the first thing that comes up in a lot of people's mind. And like I said, even kids have never seen Jordan play. You ask them, what, what's or what are some dream cards you'd like to have someday? And that card ends up being on the list because they understand like, best player of all time. That's his rookie card that people recognize the most as being his rookie card. Um, so that for me was an obvious number one. Can um, I interject? Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. Um, 
do you think, and all of you, I want, I want your, I want everybody's opinion on this question. Do you think that PSA is guarding the pop 10 population on that card, that particular card? I, I, I mean, see, it, I I, I'm not saying about grading companies, but uh, really <laughs> John does. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but, um, but I, 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 I feel like maybe yes. I mean, I sent a card into them. I sent in a Jordan rookie. That was a 3.5 Beckett um, that had a um, had a bad surface, and so that's where it got knocked by Beckett. Uh, I got a nine on centering by Beckett. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful looking card. Shot it to PSA. It got a 1.5, and this was at the hype at the time. This is when everything was going crazy in the market a year ago, year and a half ago. And I sent it in. It was stupid, you know. Um, but I was just like, what? And you look at this, the eye appeal of this card, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and yeah, they couldn't, I asked them, it was the first card. It was literally the first card I had ever graded with PSA myself ever. So I, I had emailed some correspondence back and forth, just going, look, I'm new to this. I'm not new to the cards, but I'm new to grading with you guys. Can maybe you explain this a little bit? Just cause I'm just trying to understand like, I don't understand why it's a 1.5. I, I just would like to know, you know, and do you have any records of what goes into that? And they, after two weeks of back and forth or, you know, waiting two weeks in between back and forths, they basically said um, that they don't keep any records of that. And I asked specifically that question that you just asked. And they, and I said, you know, um, you know, is it, is this something that you're trying to like control the population on? And they wrote back, rumors aren't often true. I'm like, well, that doesn't answer the question. Is this one true or not? Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't just say no. You just kind of left it open for me. Here's a real um, for you to solve. Yeah, so I wasn't very happy with the response. It was it was a lot of money to spend uh, to grade the card, obviously, through them because they charge based on the value of the card. And um, and it, it, what you know, it's just I think all of that is very hard when you don't have any transparency sending in so in my opinion yeah i felt like it i felt like in general i think they were grading those particular cards pretty hard maybe not even just to protect the the 10 population but in general maybe they were being a little bit less generous recently than they were in the past what do you think adam so i i think john's right there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about here with this question um my sense is that it's very clear to me that grading standards have changed as time has passed. It's not like a straight line thing. It's not simply saying that it's a lot harder today than it was back then. I actually think that the early days of grading were really, sorry, I'm hearing beeping in the background. Yeah, that's me. Hold on. Sorry, you're good. You're good. Um, so the, the early days of grading, like the first days that Beckett was grading cards, I personally think that was like, I think that was some of the most difficult times to ever get a high graded card. And then I think as times passed, they've sort of reassessed and you can imagine how this happens in business, right? There's literally somebody at the top of the company or somebody in sales who's saying, or somebody who's like controlling revenue who's like, look, we need a way to get more cards in. I think we could be a little bit more lenient and that somehow gets passed through to the grade graders as time goes by. And then there's times that are better or times that are harsher and times that are less, less harsh. I think we're currently in a moment that's a lot more difficult. And so a card that was a 10 on that particular Jordan Fleer rookie 
maybe 10 years ago isn't a 10 today. It's a nine. And I don't think that that's something that happened intentionally. I don't think that they're controlling that significantly. I just think that that's, that that's what's happened. And I don't, I don't blame anybody, any individual person or any individual company even for that. I just, I think that's just what happens. That's a very fair response. It's probably the accurate one. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I don't think that there is an internal memo that goes out, hey, no more tens on Jordan Fleers, you know, like no more, like cut it. You know, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's what it is. But at the same time, and again, it's kind of what I think what Adam had said about transparency, we know nothing that goes on behind, like, you know, like in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And, you know, I, w- I would have to guess that if you're someone that's new there, you know, maybe you're making, I don't know, $25 an hour or something, you're fairly new grader. You're probably not the one I would guess that makes a final decision on that card. You know, I would assume that if, if it comes through, maybe they do get it, but then they call in help for it. I would assume that I would assume that they have a senior grader that confirms and maybe they err on the side of caution and say more often than not, let's go nine. You know, just like it's really, really close. And with PSA, there's no nine five. So it's either a nine or it's a 10. And so I, I would, I just assume that with vintage stuff or with 80s stuff that they err a lot of times on the, on the side of nines and tens. That's just, but again, it's a wild guess and maybe that's not how they do it, but I would just assume that they've got more eyes on the more important type cards that come through. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it when you have such a big market cap on a card like that and a card that does drive the hobby as a whole, um, I mean, I, whether or not you mean to or not, I think there's just there's just a recognition that this is a big deal. And to to grant a 10 on a card like that, you're right, there probably is two or three different pairs of eyes looking at it and reviewing it and making sure um, it does indeed uh, score a 10. Um, okay. I just wanted to sort of interject there, John, and, but why don't you just keep going down your list of your sure. top five. And, and I'll also mention at this point, the interesting thing, and I was thinking about this when Dustin was going through his list of <laughs> how much more expensive this basketball list is to buy raw. I'm not talking about like tens, you know, but like, to, to just even buy these cards raw would be insanely more expensive uh, than the list that you were mentioning earlier. I would assume based on the cards that I knew from the list that you had given. So it's just one of those functions that's kind of um, sad in a way. I almost feel like we should do iconic and affordable lists in the future. <laughs> give people a breath of fresh air. But because my list, I'm like looking at I'm like, I don't have most of these. I mean, like <laughs> it's just stupid, you know, like. But um, the second one on the list is the LeBron exquisite rookie patch auto, um, you know, at a 99. It's it's again, I think the most iconic of his rookie cards now. Um, and that's I would only call it that recently. Um, I would say it was desirable among the card community, you know, almost 20 years ago. Absolutely. But it became more iconic because of all of the auctions of this card in the last two years. You see it on every major big auction. You see the records be broken and hitting the the public news, not just even the sports news. Um, and I think that that's, that's the reason I, I feel like it's the most iconic of his cards. Um, and I put it as number two on the list. Uh, number three on my list is the Kobe Chrome rookie, which I kind of cringe at at the same time that I say that. Um, because when that card came out, people hated it. I mean, the reason it was so scarce at this point is it was a product that 
so many of us collectors in 1996 were like, that is a dumb product. You could buy a pack of tops for like a dollar 25 and get 10 or 12 cards per pack and get the same image. Or you could spend three or $4 on a chromium pack that had four cards in it. And the cards looked the same, but it had this kind of dim chrome, you know, like no one liked it. Like it was, there's like very few people liked that card back in 1996. And it was only when people realized that like Walmart started throwing out boxes of these things because no one was buying them that they became scarce. And then all of a sudden they went from $6 in one Beckett to 300 in the next. And everyone's like, what the heck? It's like the most <laughs> expensive rookie base card this guy's got. Wow. And people started going after it. Um, of course, that card now, like so many of them have turned green or people call it hulking, but um, the between the light and some, you know, moist people debate on why it's happening. I know light is a function because I've kept mine in the dark and they haven't gone that way. Um, but so many of them have turned colors, even inside of graded cases. That's another whole discussion we, we could have on another day. But look at the card that you're buying anytime you're buying a card, even if it's graded. Because I've seen more, I would say more Kobe's than not that are in a PSA 10 case that are greening inside of that case at this point, whether they be the base or the refractor, which is even worse because that card's so, so much more expensive um, that you got to look at it yourself. And it's one of the things I applaud about PWCC um, that just the fact that you guys have got that rating scale of your own, that you're yeah. looking at the card today, you know, and you're looking at it and you're assigning it with a, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, with a score for how it looks to the eye and, you know, and you have to, it's the eye appeal, you know, and it just, that's something that's super important with that particular card. So my number three is the, the Kobe Chrome rookie. My number four is a person that wasn't on my other list uh, at all. Um, but I feel like is, is iconic and is going to be, is going to have a great future. And that's, Steph Curry, his National Treasures RPA, again, another super expensive card that's hit the auction block a lot in the last two years. So people are familiar with what that card looks like now. I think Curry's tops rookie is equally as iconic. It's the baby face, you know, like he looks so young in it. Yeah. Um, so that's the budget one. Um, but the uh, but certainly Curry's uh, RPA is right up there. And then to round it off, you know, to, to kind of throw back to an 80s card, uh, early 80s card i think the the bird magic irving uh triple rookie that i think that card um is very iconic and is much more appreciated now than than it was 10 years ago um and i think people um people have it's become much more collectible people are getting it signed which i think is awesome it's another whole discussion there to get the three three players to sign it um i i like that because i love autographs so i think that's a neat piece um, but those are my, those are my five. Those are great. That's a strong top five. Any comments, Adam, especially from Adam and you're going to have your list here soon. What do you think of his list of, of top five? Well, I think I'll save, I think I've got a couple thoughts. I think I'll save it for mine. Cause we've definitely got some overlap, but I just, I love John's list. John's John, John in general, just like every time I hear him talk about basketball cards, I'm always listening because he's been around it for so long and he's sort of exclusive on that. A lot of people like branch out. John, as far as I know, is like really just back yeah. back, which I think, is, I, I think is super cool. <laughs> no, that's really cool. You know, and John, something that's interesting is there's always a story involved. 
Um, the the Walmart Kobe, I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know about that. I mean, it's like the fifty two mantle in the Hudson River. I mean, it's that's a that's an interesting story. I don't know how many people actually know that, but and if you if you don't, then there you go. I mean, you come here and you get the good the goods, but it, that created a scarcity in a way, and then the fact that people didn't even want it. And it's it's kind of interesting because back then that you're we're already smart enough to go. Why would I want this? It's more expensive. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. It's why like would it be more know. on a third the size of a pack? I mean, like it would. That's what people were thinking because at the time, like people people keep talking about chrome, like that was the first chromium thing, but finest was really where that began for collectors. And finest had its own design. They didn't just copy what came in regular tops and then put chromium over it. You know, so. That Topps Chrome experiment that first year with basketball was lousy in the beginning until it became so scarce that the values went up so much. And then they're like, all right, we're going to do it again in 97. You know, like it's right. just, it, it came out of like it came out of hatred that created scarcity that then created love because it was it was rare. And then so that's what led to the next one. So weird. What's your favorite set of all time? Like, what's your favorite set in general? Like, so hobby product. The favorite set and i built the set and again it comes back to me being an autograph guy was the 1996 skybox autographic set so there's about 94 or 95 i think it's 95 cards total i should know but, but it's been a few years now it took me 15 years to build it um but it was the first nba licensed on card autographs inserted into packs my favorite part of it was the fact that you could get it in packs that were cheap you could buy nba hoops for a dollar 25 open up the pack and get a Scotty Pippen hand sign autograph or Kevin Garnett or Grant Hill, who was the one that I wanted really badly back then. Uh, Cause he was on all of them. Um, that to me was like innovative, getting me closer to the players that I loved. And just, I didn't have to buy something expensive to get an expensive card. Sure. The odds were horrible that I was going to get both an autographics and a good player, <laughs> you know, like within that set. But I had the ability, like I, it was the cheap lottery ticket, you know, like you, you could buy, you could play for a dollar. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to spend 20 or 500 or, you know, wherever we are now. Yeah, no, great. How about you, Dustin? Your favorite set? Is it 89 score football? I think so. Yeah. if we're talking all time. Yeah. For, for nostalgia's sake, it has to be 89 score football. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to go against it. I'm not going to overthink it. It's a, it's 89 score football for me. Yeah, that's kind of like your your set. You know, I always think it was if I were to guess what's Dustin's favorite set, like you talked about it enough. I'm like, it's gotta be 89 square football. That really holds a special place in your heart. I always joke that at my funeral, you just sprinkle 89 score onto my <laughs> Yeah, see, there you go. That's what you're known for. I might just <laughs> have I just might have my kids do that just to be just so it's a story, you know, like a, a weird story of how dad went out. Yep, with 89 <laughs> score. A ton of ton of Troy Aikman. <laughs> yeah. Great. So, Adam, why don't you uh, walk us through your top five most iconic basketball players? Well, and what's Adam's favorite set? I want to hear that. Oh, okay. Sorry, Adam. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's go there. We'll, we'll keep going with that. Adam, what's your so, favorite set of all time? Excluding sets that I put together just because it's those are the ones that I want to talk about, but they probably won't interest anybody. The set that I think is the best basketball card set ever made, and therefore I think maybe my favorite is the 61 Flair set. Um, I think what it represents in terms of the history of the league, uh, what it represents in terms of like the color and the design and, and every part of it is unmatched. I think it's the best basketball, best basketball set ever made. 
Awesome. There we go. Clip that. 61 Fleer. All right. So why don't you walk us through your top five most iconic basketball players and then correspondingly the top five most iconic basketball cards? I mentioned before I love both John's lists. Our lists are pretty different, but I, but I but there's a lot of similarities too. So number one is Jordan. There's not we don't even need to talk about it. Number one's Jordan. Number two and number three, I think, are super interchangeable. And I wondered what John would say. I figured he would go Kobe with one and LeBron with the other. I did go Kobe first. I went Kobe first, especially because he's the Laker. He was there for 19 years. There's no weirdness about like, you know, or maybe 20 years. I don't even know. Maybe you guys know, but um, there's no weirdness as far as like he went somewhere else because he wanted to play with stars and the decision and all the weirdness that sort of comes with LeBron. But having said that, like LeBron's number three easily. Like LeBron's one of the most collected players of all time. He represents the era. He represents, you know, the beginning of the ultra high end and everything that's happened thereafter. And like the growth that we've seen under him has been incredible. But I gave Kobe the nod because I feel like Kobe's crazy collectors are a little bit crazier than LeBron. I just do. I think that. So I had LeBron third. Four and five were really tough for me. And I kind of almost went the same way that John went as far as like his history of the game. I think Shaq was a great great decision especially like Shaq's got two cards that made the iconic 100 and I think both of them were very well deserving to make the iconic 100 I went with somebody else who had two cards in the top 100 but is is more modern and that's Steph I think Steph is the most collected maybe the most collected player in the NBA today even maybe even over LeBron I mean he's just loved and he doesn't have a lot of high-end stuff which makes him really fun you talk about portrait rookies, Dustin, your, your uh, Barry Sanders is a great example of that. When I think of the portrait rookie, I think of the Steph now. Um, you know, if you look back, obviously back to the, to the 80s, I think I probably think of the Barry. Um, but Steph is Steph is the guy. And, um, you know, he also represents the beginning of the Panini era. Um, and, and also sort of that movement into more international. A lot of the international guys just absolutely love Steph. So I got Steph four. And then five, you're going to kill me for this, John. I got Luca. I've got Luca five because he was here when the hobby broke free like crazy during the pandemic. Because his, yeah, his, great. his prism rookie is like a huge deal. I've never owned one. I've never owned any variation of it. But the Luca Luca mania is huge today. Now, if we fast forward 10 years, I may sound like a total idiot for having him on this list. But as of today, I feel like I have to put him there, even though his because there's so much of the hobby that's like young. You know, and they love him and they love what he represents to the game. So those those are my top five. Very interesting. What do you think, John? No, I think that's right on too. And it's funny, the, the LeBron Kobe thing, I was back and forth between the two of them as well. Um I, I think I mean in terms of Luca, I think you're totally right. I mean, like the timing was such that kind of lit the fire. And then Zion, I, I would argue, became the target of most of the people that came in as early collectors. That was what people were told, told to buy. That's what people were excited about. Um, I remember having to explain to my mom like who he was because she was reading stuff in the newspaper about how his cards were gone for so much money. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that I think that certainly lit that lit the whole kind of prism fire, you know, that just went and and created a, a whole mass around Luca. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get it. Uh, I think I would argue that he's one of those ones. I made like a separate list um, on the side here that I said, players you should collect today because they will remain relevant tomorrow. And he was number two on that list. 
And interestingly enough, Steph Curry was number one. You know, so I had Steph, Luca. Um, I had Shaquille O'Neal on that list again because it just, you know, because of what he's involved with. I put LeBron there because I think that LeBron, once he retires, he's not going to be out. He's going to be doing stuff. I think that was what, what was so great about the Peyton Manning choice earlier, too, that Peyton's one of those guys that's remained relevant within yeah, doing other absolutely. things inside a business. Um, so I think that, yeah, I, I think Lucas certainly, um, while I agree with you, like I don't own one of the one of those rookie cards now myself. I did. I had two of them that I bought for 50 cents a piece um, back in the day and, you know, off of eBay, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's definitely he's creating that energy. Um, people are really enjoying watching him play. That's really interesting because basketball drives the hobby a lot. And I think it drives the sports world. I think it's, it's, and it didn't used to like, let's be clear about that. My name basketball card guy was like, was, was people making fun of me at shows. Like, look at that idiot over there. He only has basketball. That's literally where my name came from years ago. Cause I was the moron that didn't invest in other sports. Um, so this is a new thing. <laughs> like, it's a new thing. I just want to point that out. Like it, we didn't use this sport didn't used to drive the rest of the. Well, it, it drives, it drives it in a way where, yeah, if you look at this, the way we look at sports in general, football still pretty popular, but basketball's right there. And basketball transcends, I think beyond just the, just America, right? Obviously you think about China, you think about Japan, you Europe, it's huge in Europe now. I mean, you all these stars coming from across the pond, but in the card market, it's not even close. It's I don't know. I feel like it's basketball and then everybody else kind of fighting for second. Right. I mean, I like to think baseball's in there, but I don't know about that. I mean, baseball cards kind of have it's like it's like Kleenex and tissue. Right. I mean, you think of Kleenex is the brand, but it's really tissue paper that you're using. Baseball cards kind of the people go, you're, you're into baseball cards. Well, no, I collect basketball cards. Oh, same thing. No, it's not very different. So it's evolved. So talk to me, uh, Adam, about. You have your list of your top five iconic, most collectible basketball players. Who are the top? What are the top five cards that correspond with that? Well, we brought up the iconic 100 list that we did at PWCC a little bit earlier, and then we also, I also had my own my own ballot from that that I could just I could just go to. But the reality is, I think I've sort of this is something that's always in flux, and some of these things are really close to each other. How do you compare mm-hmm. a LeBron James exquisite rookie with? Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 1969. It's really, actually really hard. It's a really fun exercise to do, and that's what we endeavored to do with the Iconic 100. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of people argued with it. A lot of people thought it was great. A lot of people thought it was awful. It's so much fun, though, because, because it really was just taking everybody's thoughts and averaging them and seeing what people think. So I loved John's list because he listed five cards. So, John, all five of your cards that you listed were in the top 10 basketball cards as according to the list. Your list went... Jordan Flair, which is the number one basketball card. LeBron's Exquisite, which was the number two basketball card. Kobe's Chrome slash Tops and all that, which was the number six basketball card. Steph's NT, which is number 10. And Bird Magic was the number three basketball card. So I think it's pretty wow. cool. You ended up all in the top 10 on basketball cards. Um, my list is different than the Iconic 100. I'm gesturing to the book right now. That's why I'm moving my hands. Sorry. Um, but here's my list. So take your four words. So I, I think the Jordan Fleer is obviously number one. You, just, you don't even have to have a conversation about it. It represents everything. It's the greatest basketball card ever made. It came across number three 
or sorry, sorry, it came across number two on the overall list, even ahead of the Wagner, which was shocking to me. I thought the Wagner easily should have been ahead of the Jordan, but those are the top three most iconic cards of all time. It's the it's the, the mantle, it's the Wagner, it's the Jordan. I don't number four is not even close. Those number top three were easily far and away the top three most iconic basketball cards. My number two is the one that the list had as the number three basketball card, which is the 1980 Tops card. I just still can't even believe that, that card exists. It's Magic and it's Bird on their rookie card. And then it's one of the other 20 best players of all time and Julius Irving between them. And I just think it's incredible that it exists. It's probably the least good looking card of, of any of them. Um, I think it's cool that it has this other sort of thing that people ripped them apart when they got them right at the perforations as you were supposed to do. You were supposed to take them. You're supposed to pull them apart. Hooray, you got your gum. You pulled your cards apart too. Um, I just think it's, I think it's amazing, and those two guys say basketball and Irving. I, again, he's, it's not that he just that he wasn't the slouch; he was one of the greatest players of all time, and that's one of the most recognizable cards of all time. So that's my number two. My number three this is so tough, but my number three is the Wilt, and the reason I went with the Wilt sixty-one player is because sixty-one player, as I said before, I think it's the best basketball set ever made. It it appeals to everybody because everybody knows who Wilt was, right? Even if you don't know basketball, you know who Wilt was. Everybody knows, they see this young guy, this young Wilt, and then he doesn't have another card made until 1969 tops. That's incredible. It's just crazy that it represents the first two thirds of his career, right? It's, it's amazing. So that's my number three. My number four is Kobe tops. Um, John had that on his list too. Uh, everything that he said about uh, the Walmart, sort of like the retail only is so interesting. I remember watching John every month that thing go from, I don't know if it was really from six to 300. I think it was like from 10 to 20 to 50 to hundred to 300. It was just like this ascension that we've never seen before. And I remember thinking at the time, like, it's crazy that, that like, it's just the same thing as the tops rookie act. I actually got to ask Dr. Beckett about this. It was like, how did you guys determine that that wasn't just a parallel? And there's actually an article in the original Beckett basketball about how they sort of like thought through like what, whether it would be like a, a multiplier, John, you remember that, how you have like a multiplier over the base set. They considered that because yeah. they're all the same cards, right? But then you also had the refractor and stuff and Beckett made the decision, Hey, we're going to list it on its own. And then when you, when you had this combination of it coming out in the Beckett, and then you had this combination of very short supply, it was retail only and very few of it was left at that point. I remember going to card shops. This is probably like, I don't know, like May of 1997 or card shows, May of 1997. Yeah. And the packs were $8 each. And we were like pulling out our hair. Like, how could you possibly have a pack that's $8? And then later it shows they were $15 and $20. And it was the most expensive product we've ever seen. And like four cards in a pack. I mean, it was like, yeah. Yeah, you could open a box and not get Kobe in any form. Yeah. You wouldn't yep. get the earthquake, the base, or the refractor in, yep. in a single in a whole box, and yeah. So the thing that I like about that one, though, and and it came it came in it came in 15 overall on the list, and like I said, six out of basketball cards. The thing that I love about that card is it you can acquire it across all different levels. You've got the regular tops card, which it looks the exact same. It's not of the same product, but for our list, we included them all together because they look the same. And so I, I love that card. Cause it's like, it goes from the super low end up until the, you know, six figures for that card, which is, which is awesome. And um, you have the 50th anniversary one in the, in that too, that yes. you could get in tops. Yep. Yes. And it doesn't go green. Correct. It doesn't. It, yeah. It doesn't go green because that of the regular top run. 
There's okay. so many oh. people that called that the Chrome for a while. And it's like, yeah. what are you doing, guys? Like, I remember that being a huge issue back in the day. Yeah, that's, I actually love that card. Because that's a great card. I don't actually think I have that card anymore. I don't think I have one of those anymore. I, it's actually really tough in higher aid, too. That's kind of a fun one. I, Kobe's rookies have taken such a beating over the course of the last year that it's actually kind of, so I, I recently bought a Kobe Chrome Refractor rookie just because, like, they're finally back to a point. I've always wanted the card. and They're finally back to a point where you can sort of afford, like, a normal person could kind of afford some of these cards when they couldn't uh, right. you know, a couple years ago. So that's deep in my collection now. But um, I'll go quick. The last couple. So um, I mentioned – sorry, I'm going back to the top of my list. I mentioned Kobe number four. The last one, this was really a struggle for me. Like – it's really a struggle because it's a card that I didn't have nearly as high on my personal list. I personally would like to see the Mike in here, um, 48 Bowman, the card that was always the highest dollar card in the, in the, in the, the Beckett. Um, I thought about the Russell. I thought about the MJ 97 Metal Universe because it's like the beginning of PMGs and sort of that represents that serial numbered 90s era that like so many people have grown to love and have become like the grails to so many people. But I actually went with the LeBron Exquisite as well, just like John did, um, because it represents the beginning of uh, not not the beginning of game used. I guess you you'd go to the '97 Jordan for that, but but it's the first RPA. It's it's LeBron. I felt like I was doing something wrong if I didn't have LeBron on my top five list. But I think you you kind of don't need him on your list as much because because he suffers from something that the guys that are older don't suffer from. He has so many things that you can choose from. You know, um, John mentioned is it the Curry tops or is it the curry national treasures that's more iconic it's a good question but they're both they're both in the list jerry rice when justin was talking about him jerry rice doesn't have that same issue right maybe barry sanders does a little bit but everybody knows what the barry sanders card is everybody knows what the joe montana card is and you know everybody knows who george mikan's card is like the the lebron's tough for me because he's got multiples i still i'm with john i think that the, that the exquisite represents some things that the other ones don't and so for me, that's the LeBron card at number five. And look, there's only 99 of them plus the 23 that are, you know, the parallels. And that's a dream card, I think, for a lot of people. It's a card I've never owned. And I would love to, obviously, but it's worth so much money that, you know, like John pointed out, like you've got so many cards, even raw in this basketball section. You're just looking at going, well, I'll never, I'll never own that. But the great thing is, the last thing I'll say here is that even though you might not be able to get the the LeBron exquisite card, like there are LeBron rookie cards out there that you can get. And so depending on what you're, you know, what you're looking to spend, you still have a way to fit something into your collection that represents that person and that place in, in the sports history. That's true. Yeah, like I, said, I think we need iconic and affordable next round. <laughs> yeah. I, definitely. Uh, there, there is so much value in this conversation so many different tangents and, and things to, to, you know, unpack and, and discuss. I do, I do agree with you, John. I think the affordability and Dustin, you can speak to this. I think it's important because I think what happens sometimes and, and Adam, you and I talked about this in our, in our one of our episodes that folks are going to see at some point here. We talked about being, you know, providential financially with when, how, and how many, how much money to spend and how to set limits and be you know disciplined and how you want to go about buying cards and, you know, I think 2023, you're going to see a lot of opportunities for some of these great cards that are going to come up and you're going to be like, gosh, I better pull the trigger before they go back up again. And 
but is that really going to happen? And is that the smart thing to do? Because we sit here and we consume all this content. We hear about all these cards that we love so much. We've heard about, maybe we didn't hear about it as much. And now we've heard about it so darn much. You almost want to have it just to have it in your PC because it's that iconic, that important. But is it the right thing to do? And so affordability is important. I think it's a conversation we should all have. Right. Dusty, anything you want to say to that? Because I know that's been a heavy conversation that you've been having, which has yeah. been, I think, personally, is a wonderful conversation to be having. A great yeah. reminder. Yeah, that particular topic, um, it's not something that's talked about a lot. I noticed in just in content in general. And it's like, ah, you know, it's probably worth getting out there. So I shared kind of my story there. But no, I it's kind of a weird catch 22, because on the one hand, it's like, oh, we're overprinting and now we've got a thousand different rookie cards. On the other hand, to kind of speak to what you're saying is, though, but then you have really entry points for everybody. You know, LeBron James has $5 rookie cards and he has million dollar rookie cards. You know, so if you're someone that's just trying to collect LeBron James cards, you can. And actually, I have a couple of the $5 ones. If anyone, you know, if anyone's you know, wondering if that's a thing, that there actually are $5 LeBron James rookie cards. Um, and I like, Adam, that you added in Luca because, you know, first off, He's kind of he's interesting because he's kind of like with Kobe and with LeBron, they both kind of came right out of high school. These phenoms. Luca, though, doesn't look the, the type, though, like coming out. You know, he looks like me and my buddies going out there to play basketball, but he's just a dominant player, you know, and I think that that's relatable. You know, LeBron James is a physical specimen. Kobe Bryant is like Michael Jordan's clone, you know, just like the next generation. I feel like just watching him play. You know, but with Luca, he's got kind of a mystique to him because he's kind of like the kid phenom that actually can hang with the NBA players. And then, yeah, he's got and then you factor in this time period, probably going to be remembered in a similar fashion to 88 to 94 in some ways that this boom era in 20 years. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of a cool meld. Uh, So I'm glad that you I'm glad that you um, added him in. He's kind of that one prospect in the NBA that I go for. I actually did pick up a PSA 10 silver prism of his at, at the national last year. The most expensive card I've ever bought uh, was, was that card. And, but it was, again, it was kind of like the, it's like there's, it's like the one prospect I'm watching that I'm rooting for. And that's, that's just like cool. You know, I don't know if you call it. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't know if I, I don't want to say iconic cause he's a kid, you know, but for me, like silver, that silver prism card, I remember during the height, it was like $8,000 at one point I was thinking, well, I'll never own that card. And then I got it at the national for 1700 bucks. So it wasn't, it wasn't inexpensive, but it was within striking distance, you know, to where it's like, okay, this is cool. I can have like one, you know, one nice card of his, but again, that kind of speaks to, there's a lot of options here, you know, to where you can kind of get in at, at your price point. The, the thing that amazed me about this whole discussion, DPZ, is that if you look at our lists, it's all rookies. I mean, like, like it, it's so predominantly and when as i was going through too like i had a whole secondary honor honorable mentions list here it included pmgs jambalayas first year game jerseys the first year of finest refractors like things that that paved the way for other things that i think are iconic and awesome and neat but it comes from my nostalgia of those inserts when i was younger and in my opinion and it seems like I, and we should discuss this, but it seems like it's over overwhelmingly based on the lists. I think that the rookie stuff is going to outlast that. Like as much as I might think the PMGs are cool. And that the first year Jordan Jersey from the all-star Jersey that was in the upper deck, one in 2,500 packs is amazing. And a dream card. I, I may think that, but my son collecting 20 years from now probably won't have that same. He'll want the Jordan rookie 
not the Jordan game jersey, you know? And, and so I think that's an interesting thing where the game jersey is way more valuable and way more important in my opinion and scarce and awesome and amazing. And congrats to Adam for getting one. Cause I knew you got one <laughs> back not too long ago. It's a dream card, you know, but are our dream cards as iconic are they are they future proof iconic? I think is another kind of whole discussion. So can I jump in real quick and just say I think this is so interesting. Um, I think it's such an interesting conversation. I'm glad you you brought up the rookie thing. I wasn't thinking about it, but what's very interesting to me is I mentioned those three cards that are most iconic, right? The number one card on the list wasn't a rookie. It was the first top the first tops mantle, right? That we all know is a second card. It's 50, 51 Bowman is his rookie, but the 52 tops feels like it, right? As I look back at as I look back at the whole of the 100 right now, I think it's super interesting. I think, John, you just mentioned the two cards that are highest on the list from the sort of more modern era that are both considered iconic but aren't rookies. And that's the first Jordan jersey. And it's the first, it's the PMG, which came in at number, came in at number 11. So there are some, I think, that will that will come through, but I, I totally agree. I think they're few and far between. I think most of what will last in our minds will be the card, the iconic rookie card. And you know, if you're talking decades down the road, that doesn't mean we don't we shouldn't collect other things, but if you're looking to put together something that's gonna really matter five decades from now or something, I think you're right. It's mostly gonna be those those base those rookie cards. It okay. We'll, uh, Dustin's got to, we'll get a run here in a minute, but I, no, I I was going to say real quick, I think, um, I think that's a very important conversation to have. I think the cards that we're talking about are cards that are iconic, meaning they are the cards you see in the news selling for record money. They're the cards that people will know about that don't really collect cards, They'll know about the 89 upper deck because most kids, you know, folks our age collected that. They'll know about the, the the Jordan rookie because it's so important. You know, you'll have random people that you never talk about cards will come and go, hey, I think I have an 86 Fleer Jordan. I don't know what condition it's in. They know about that car, right? They know about those particular cards. So um, what I'll do here real quick before we wrap is I'll give you my – I'm just going to give you my five most iconic cards and not do the players because I, I, it's, it's, it's too crazy. But I started with number one was the 52 mantle, not a rookie. It's the most expensive second year card ever made. Not a rookie, 52 mantle, just because that's the card. We all knew as a kid, that's the card that transcends all sports. It is the card. Second card for me would be the 86 Fleer Jordan. I think it's interesting that everybody has talked about the 86 Fleer. Whenever you talk about Jordan, it's that card going right behind it. And there's really no discussion around it. It's like, that's the card, that's it. We're not talking about the star cards, which can be a whole other conversation. But again, how many people are coming up to you going, I think I have the star card. They're coming up to you going, I have 86 Fleer. They talk about that. They love that card. It transcends, just like John alludes to, it's a culturally relevant thing. It's important. Um, number three is the LeBron Exquisite. I think that that card will be known as, again, a lot of these cards are sort of like benchmarks to the hobby. You know, they all sort of represent a time and a place in the hobby and the boom and what's important and how popular it is. I think that particular card does that. Um, And LeBron Exquisite is that card for 2003 when everybody was getting back into the hobby. Number four is 89 Upper Deck, Ken Griffey Jr. That obviously represents all of our childhoods right now. Everybody knows what that card is. 
And if you're within a certain earshot of that range of, you know, us in like between 35 and 45, and you, you had that card, you some some fashion of it, because there's a million of them out there, but it's an important one to own, even though the pop's a little high, it's iconic, it's important to own. Now, my fifth card, I, I the fifth card's going to be a little bit controversial, but I went with the 79 OPG Wayne Gretzky PSA 10. Good one. Yeah. And here's why. There is not one hockey card that eclipses that card. It's like not even debatable. It is the king of the kings. Hockey is a bit, it kind of has a niche following. I think it's going to grow. Obviously, I'm a big hockey guy, but I think that particular card, it's another one that sells at high range. I remember when I was a kid, it's still an important card. I think despite, you could put a five or six of the basketball cards in there. Heck, you could put, throw a couple more baseball cards in there. There's Willie Mays and you get you know, all these really great cards. But that card, just it just it carries the torch for that whole sport, a whole collector base. So those are my top five. Um, any comments on that before Dustin has to jump off here? We all uh, can get going. Uh, again, thank every single one of you for being on this, this uh, wonderful episode discussing a really cool topic. But anybody have any uh, any feedback on my top five? I, I love your list. Just for reference, you went one, two, five, nine, seven as compared to the PWCC Iconic 100. So really close. The only one that stood out to me that I feel like you have to have on the list. But again, I'm not going to tell anybody else what they have to have. I, it's what I think. I think the Wagner just has yeah. to be. I was going to say the Honus. Yep. Yeah, the Honus Wagner is is it's the car. It's 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 what starts like it doesn't start collecting, but it's it's something that we all remember from when we were kids as being like unattainable. And anyway, think, we got all. The yeah, time. no, I think I think you make a very good point. I think. I think you get the Honus Wagner is one of those headline grabbing cards. It's the card that people probably talk about. Heck, Wayne Gretzky owned the card. Look at that guy. Wow. Holy cow. What is, what is that? Is that a, is that one of the reprints? <laughs> <laughs> you're on mute. You're on mute, John. John, you're on mute. You're of mute. course, the basketball card guy does not have an original Honus Wagner. That would be way out of character. He's like, I don't know. I've got this one baseball card. Is it any good? <laughs> yeah, I found this in my drawer. Uh, it looks horrible in my light here because I got way too much light on it. But you guys know, you know, half a half a copy, one half a copy sold for like half a million dollars. That's amazing. That's so. amazing. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again, folks. You go check out John, the basketball card guy. He's got his YouTube channel. It's full of all kinds of good treats. Dustin, sports card dad. Go give him a follow. Go watch him. He's got some amazing content. Short little videos. They're, they're bite-sized, they're consumable, they're easy to, to pop in and just listen to. He's got a great a great following there, uh, super nice guy, and a, and, a, and a lot of great knowledge coming out of his his camp. And, of course, we got Adam, PWCC. Johnny teams up with Jeremy Lee, uh, PWCC Countdown. They talk about hockey cards sometimes, too. Um, some really good content out there. And anything else that you want to follow, again, Luca Tiger, LeBron, and Luca Nation, come follow us. You can follow all of us. Um, sports card dad, Adam Gray, it's the Adam – What's the, Adam? What's your your tag again? Remind me. The real twenty seven guy. The real twenty seven guy. We got John at basketball card guy, and I'm DPZ PC with DPZ. Again, thank you for a special edition of Collector's Journey, a conversation about iconic cards. We see you guys all next time. Please comment below on anything and start the debate. Let's let's have a debate, and I'm sure some of these guys will jump on there and maybe uh, have some conversations about some of the things we discussed today. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>